John 14 and Jeremiah 32. So open to John chapter 14 and put a marker at Jeremiah chapter 32. We're going to begin a new series this weekend, Greetings Southlake, NRH, Frisco, everyone. We're going to begin a series called In Jesus' Name, and it follows the theme of our devotional. If you hadn't gotten a devotional or downloaded the app, uh, do that so that you can be a part of the devotional as well for this month. So we're going to take four weeks here and talk about In Jesus' Name. And the title of the message today is To Pray or Not to Pray. And if you want to keep going, that is the question. <laughs> Barring from a Shakespearean play, to be or not to be. To pray or not to pray. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about in Jesus' name and then why we don't pray and why we should pray, all right? Let me give you a little theological background on John chapter 14, 15, and 16. This is the conversation most theologians believe that Jesus had with his disciples at the Last Supper. Okay, you remember Jesus is there with his disciples at the Last Supper. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci was over in the corner and he painted a picture. Okay, so John 13, he washes their feet. This is, we know, in the upper room. John 17, he prays the prayer, which most theologians, again, believe this was prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so John 14, 15, and 16, and I believe this as well, this is what he told his disciples right before he goes to the cross. And he tells them something, you will not find these phrases in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, only in these three chapters, all right? So John 14, look at verses 13 and 14. This is completely new to them, first time they've ever heard this. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Uh, John 15, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And then John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Okay, this is in our Bible. So why in the world would we not ask in Jesus' name? Well, I want to give you two reasons to pray and, and dive into those, but I actually have three reasons why we don't pray, to pray or not to pray. And I don't think that we would consciously make the decision not to pray. I'm not, I'm not going to pray. But we do subconsciously make that decision many, many times a day. And sometimes every morning, we decide not to spend time with God or to pray or to ask Him about something. So I, I kind of have three sub-points for those of you who are great outliners, three sub-points, they'll be in parentheses, and then I'll get to the two main points, all right? So here are the three sub-points why we, we don't pray. Here's, here's number one, complacency. 
We just get to the place where we get complacent about things. Sometimes it's because we don't think it relates to us. I, I believe that we've had uh, judges appointed, officials elected, and laws passed because believers didn't pray. We somehow think, well, that's in another state. Why, what does it matter to me if they don't put the Ten Commandments on the courtroom uh, in that state? What would that matter? And so we don't take that to prayer. And because of that, we see things. And it's amazing how concerned we get when it begins to touch us. You know, uh, a few years ago, um, we had uh, Hurricane Katrina. They told us about it. They told us it was coming. Um, in my opinion, many believers didn't pray very hard. And I'm not saying natural disasters are from God at all. I think they're natural. I think we live in a world where we have natural disasters. But I think we can pray and turn things. And I don't think many of us prayed, and it did horrible, tremendous damage. And then uh, after that, we had another one coming called Rita. And they told us this could hit the oil refineries in Houston, and gas prices could go up. We prayed. <laughs> and that hurricane was turned and did not do the damage they said it would do. So I'm, I'm wondering if sometimes we just get complacent about things and just don't pray. Uh, here's the second reason, unbelief. Now, I know this is kind of difficult to swallow, but if you really believed that spending time in prayer for your business would change things, I wonder if we would spend more time in prayer. If you really believe spending time in prayer for your marriage would change things, I wonder if we'd pray more. If we really believe spending time in prayer over this certain uh, rebellion or stubbornness we see in one of our children would change something, I wonder if we'd spend more time in prayer. I hate to say this, but I think there are some times that we think that 10 minutes in prayer will not accomplish as much as 10 minutes on the internet. And we make that choice. So unbelief could be a reason we don't spend time in prayer. And here's the third one, discouragement. We prayed and prayed for something, and it didn't happen. Pastor, you don't understand. And we allow the enemy then to um, convolute our thinking in this area of prayer. And the two reasons to pray that I'm about to cover are actually attributes of God. They are attributed to God. They are characteristics of God of who He is. Not just what He does, but who He is. And here's what I want to tell you about these. They, they, it's so amazing that these are actually the two characteristics of God that Satan again pollutes to cause us not to pray when these are probably two characteristics about God that should cause us to pray the most, okay? So let me give you these two and we'll talk about them, all right? Number one is the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Now, let me tell you what the word sovereignty means because since we don't know what it means and haven't really studied this many times, we think we know what this means, but it's actually a, a complete misapplication of this truth. Uh, sovereignty means supremacy. Uh, when we say God is sovereign, it means He is supreme. He is the supreme ruler of the universe. That's what it means. Let me tell you how many of us think about this. We think, well, what the sovereignty of God means is that God is going to do what He wants to do no matter what. That's the way many people apply this attribute of God. I believe it's uh, uh, an incomplete application of, of this attribute. In other words, they say, well, God's going to do whatever He's going to do anyway. So here's what the enemy does. He says, then why even pray? 
What, why pray? I mean, God's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. In Matthew 6, Jesus said this, the Father knows what you need before you ask. And we leave him even misinterpret that. I think we don't say this again, but this is how we think about that scripture. The Father knows what you need, so don't ask. He already knows, so there's no reason to ask. And he's sovereign, he's going to do whatever he wants to do. So there's no reason to ask. But Jesus said the Father knows what you need before you ask. And the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that God's going to do whatever he wants to do no matter what. As a matter of fact, again, we misinterpret the will of God. We say, well, if it's God's will, it'll happen. There's no reason for me to pray. If it's God's will, it will happen. Do you know that's not true? That that's not true. Listen to me very carefully. We know when we talk about the word will, again, many of us don't know the definition of the word will. Let me give you the best one word definition, desire. Uh, in other words, when you draw up a last will and testament, what you're actually saying is, this is my desire for the $83.62 that I will leave behind. <laughs> After you pay Visa and the rest of the bills, I'll have $83.62 left over. This is my desire for that money. That's what you, that is your will. Your will is your desire. Okay, so what is God's desire? Well, let me, let me just read you a, a scripture here. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us. Now watch this. Here's his will. Not willing. Not willing. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now again, when you understand the word will, you understand the scripture. It is not God's desire that anyone perish but that all should come to repentance. Okay, I have a very simple question for you, though. Are all going to come to repentance? No. And you want to know why? Because, again, the sovereignty of God. Now, listen to me carefully. God is sovereign. It means he's the supreme ruler. It means he exercises his will. Listen, God has a will, right? We all know that. But God created us in his image. So we have a will also, <laughs> So the reason that some people perish is not God's will, but their wills. They exercise their will to not accept Christ, and that's why they perish. And we just don't understand this. We say, well, if it's God's will, it's going to happen. No, God's will is for good. God says, I know the thoughts I have for you, thoughts for good, not thoughts of evil. And so God's thoughts are good. God's thoughts are for every person to come to Christ, and he has provided a way for every person to be saved. But he's also created us in his image, so we have a will. So here's what I'm trying to say about that. The good things that happen in your life are because your will moves God's will from heaven to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus said, here's how you pray. Here's how you pray. In other words, nothing good. Now, I'm going to shock you. Listen to me, though. Nothing good is going to happen if you don't pray. The breakthrough, I know this is negative, the way I'm saying it, but I just, I, I've got to shock us into prayer. The breakthrough you want to see in your family is not going to happen if you don't pray. It's God's desire for you to have a breakthrough, but you have a will, and are you going to exercise your will to move God's will to earth? So sometimes we even say this, if it, if, it be thy, if it be thy will. We like to use old King James on that one. If it be thy will. If, if it be thy will. Well, there are some things that we know God's will about. 
uh, that none should perish. If it be thy will, save my neighbor. We know God's will on that. Let me tell you what his will is. His will that you get is, just, is that you'll get your will out of the recliner and go across the street and talk to him. That's his will. And we come to this where we don't quite understand how important it is, and we say, well, the sovereignty of God. All right, now go to Jeremiah 32, and we're going to read a scripture that as we read it, you're going to have no idea why we're reading this, just to let you know. Because we're going to read something that God told Jeremiah to do that is an example of something that we need to understand, all right? So Jeremiah chapter 32, look at verse 8. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me, in other words, his cousin, in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord. And that's where Jeremiah was at this time. And said to me, please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right, now watch this carefully, the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. The right of inheritance and the right of redemption. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew this was the word of the Lord. God had already told him that. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. Watch verse 11. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to law and custom, and that which was open. Now, it's very important to notice in this passage, there are two rights, the right of inheritance and the right of redemption. And there are two deeds, the sealed deed and the open deed. Probably what had happened is that uh, Jeremiah's father had passed away. His uncle then, his father's brother, bought his land from probably his mother to help the family financially. And then Hanamel, his cousin, his uncle's son, came to him one day and said, hey, buy this field. And God told him, hey, this is going to happen. And when it does, you, you buy it, okay? God already told him that, okay? So he comes to him and he says, hey, buy the field back for the right of inheritance and the right of redemption is yours. Now, here's what he meant by that. If the uncle bought the field, when the uncle died, his son wouldn't get it. Actually, it'd go back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah had the right of inheritance, even though his father had passed away. But he also had the right of redemption if he wanted to purchase it back before the uncle passed away. And so that's what he said. He said there are two rights. Then there are two deeds, okay? An open deed and a sealed deed. What happened was if, if a family owned land, there was a sealed deed that had that family's name on it. And no matter what, they always held that deed. That deed meant we have the right of redemption. We are the original owners of this land. The open deed would be a deed that would be open so you could write on it. And you could put other names on it as well if someone else bought the land. Are you following me? Okay. Here's the reason I said all this. Seal deed and open deed. And God is the one that implemented this system. Why? In my opinion, the reason the Lord implemented this was he was talking about the earth. He always talked to them about the land. Now, here's what he was saying. God gave Adam dominion over the earth, but Adam lost it to Satan. As a matter of fact, when Satan tempted Jesus, here's what he said, all of this is mine, and I can give it to whomever I want. And Jesus didn't say, uh-uh. He knew he was telling the truth. 
He, Satan had ownership then or stewardship of it, domain, dominion, because he usurped it from Adam. Okay, here's what I think this represents. God gave Adam the open deed, but God kept the sealed deed. And in Revelation 5, it talks about, this is so cool, that they looked and the one that sat on the throne, the Father, had a sealed scroll in his hand. And they said, is there anyone worthy to open this? And they couldn't find anyone. And then it says that one of the elders touched John and said, don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed and can open the sealed scroll. I think that's the sealed deed. Jesus had the authority to open that. You want to know why? Listen, because Jesus has the right of inheritance because he's the son and the right of redemption. Now, here's what I'm telling you, though. All of it, the inheritance, the land, the whole world would have come back to Jesus in the end. But he didn't want just the land. He wanted you. So he exercised his right of redemption and purchased you back. Is that good news? <laughs> Jesus, who had the right of inheritance and the right of redemption, purchased us back. Now, but here's what you have to understand. What did he purchase back? What did he get back? He got back dominion. God gave Adam dominion. Adam lost it. Satan had it. Jesus went and got it back. Here's what I'm telling you. God has given you now the open deed over your life and your destiny. And whether it comes to pass or not, God's will or desire for your life will be whether you partner with him or not, whether you pray. See, one of the reasons we don't pray is the sovereignty of God. Well, it's just going to happen no matter what. That's not what it means. Here's the reason to pray when you talk about the sovereignty of God, because we are praying to the supreme ruler of the universe who can move heaven and earth for you. That's why we, this is why we do pray, because of his sovereignty. So that's the first reason. Here's the second reason. The second reason of why we should pray is the immutability of God. The immutability of God. Now, I know that you probably did not use immutability last week in a sentence. You probably didn't say, you know, um, I was just thinking about the immutability of Bluebell. <laughs> probably shouldn't mention Bluebell right now, huh? But it never changes. It's always good. Okay, all right, let's keep going. <clears throat> Okay. The immutability of God means the unchangeableness of God, the fact that he can't change. Malachi 3 verse 6 says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. I've told you this before, the reason God doesn't change is because if he could change, he could get better. And he can't get better because he's best. He's perfect. So God can't change. He can't change. So here's what Satan does. There's no reason to pray because God can't change. See, the first is he hits us with God's will. And then he says, well, and, and not only that, that God's going to do whatever he wants to do. It doesn't matter if you pray. The other, the other thing is, God, you're not going to change anything. You're just, you're, you can't change God. God can't change. Okay, let me, let me explain something to you. This is not saying the immutability of God theology is not saying that God can't change his mind. It is saying that God can't change his character. Now, this is extremely important to understand. God can't and won't change his character. But listen, according to Scripture, he will change his mind. He will. Abraham knew this. Abraham prayed, and God changed his mind. 
Moses knew this. Moses prayed, and God changed his mind. Let me actually show you the Scripture. Exodus 32, 14 says, so the Lord relented. Now watch this. The Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Now, this is shocking. The Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Listen, God said he was going to do something. Moses prayed, and God changed his mind. This, this word relented, if you, if you just change even one letter in, in the um, uh, English word, relented, you, you get another word. You know what word you get? Repented. And you say, well, you're, you're, you're doing the English, and you ought to go to the Hebrew. Well, I, I did go to the Hebrew. And in the Hebrew, this word is in the Old Testament 108 times, 41 times of those 108, it's translated repented. It actually means to repent, to change your mind. The reason that I don't think the translators put it there, even though it's in there 41 other times, and the other times it's actually talking about compassion that God changed for compassion reasons. But the reason I don't think they put it there is because most of us don't think that God can repent. And the reason we don't is because we don't understand repentance again. If you ask most people, what does it mean to repent? Here's what they say, to turn from sin. To turn from sin. Okay, that's not what it means. Uh, It's easier actually to explain the definition from the Greek word for repentance rather than the Hebrew word. The Greek word is metanoia, metanoia. Meta means change, like a metamorphosis, change, Noia means mind. Literally translated, repentance means to change your mind. Here's what the Bible says, repent and believe on Jesus. Let me say it another way, change your mind. Now, you can say change your mind about your sin. Change your mind about the way you're living. Yes, so you can say, well, it means turn from sin. Well, it means to change your mind about it, which would cause you to turn from it to Jesus Christ, okay? But here's the point. It actually means change your mind. This is why you can put it, that's why it can be translated in this verse, God relented, God repented. Let me say it another way. God changed his mind. God changed his mind about the harm he said he would do to his people. Why? Because Moses prayed. Hey, this is the whole story of Jonah, by the way. You know, everyone knows the Jonah and the whale story, and they know that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, but Jonah got on a ship and went to Tarshish, the opposite way. They threw him off, whale swallowed him, all that's okay. But he goes the opposite way. Uh, that's chapters one and two. Most people, and then he goes and preaches, you know, repent. And by the way, you know what his message was? 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. I have a real simple question for you. Was Nineveh destroyed? No. Why? Because they changed their mind about the way they were living, so God changed his mind about destroying them. And if you read on, Jonah's only four chapters. It's a great one-day read, all right? Four chapters. If you go on to chapter four, it tells us why Jonah went the opposite way. Here's what he said. I love the way he said. Here's what he said to God. Did not I tell you you would do this? This is why, therefore, I fled to Tarshish, because I know that you're a compassionate God. Here's what he's saying. I knew that if I came and preached this message of judgment, which they do need to be judged, God, that's the way he felt about it. If I came and preached that, I knew they'd repent, and I knew you'd change your mind too. And then he prays the prayer of all prophets that don't have a prophecy come true. I might as well just die. (laughs) My life's over. I gave a prophecy and the prophecy didn't come to pass. Let me tell you something about prophecy. 
all words from God are submitted to the God of the Word. Sometimes God gives a word to get people to repent. His word, he was concerned about a nation. So we have to understand that God is immutable. He can't change his character, but he does change his mind. You know what's so great about this, that God doesn't change his character? This is why we should pray. You know why? Because God will always be merciful. (laughs) God will always be compassionate. God will always be powerful. There are so many attributes of God that should cause us to pray. This is not a reason to not pray because God can't change. This is the reason to pray because God can't change. If he was compassionate then, he'll be compassionate now. And so we pray. Let me show you one more scripture, Ezekiel 22, verses 30 and 31. So I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. Therefore, I poured out my indignation on them. I've consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I've recompensed their deeds on their own heads. Here's what he's saying. I just wanted one person to join hands with me. I wanted to be compassionate and merciful to this people, and I just wanted one person who would join hands with me and believe for them, and I couldn't find anyone. So here's a really good question for all of us. What areas of our lives does God want us to join hands with him? Your job, your health, your finances, your family. What areas are you just believing that, well, if it's God's will, if it's God's will, he'll open the door. But you're not praying his will from heaven to earth. Let me tell you one story and then we'll finish. Some of you probably heard this name over the years in church. George Mueller is one of the greatest missionaries who ever lived. What a lot of people don't realize about George Mueller is he lived a very sinful life until he was 30 years old. When he was 30 years old, he went to a small group meeting, like a life group, and gave his life to the Lord. Now, here's something uh, that people don't realize about him. He was actually training for the ministry. The reason he was training for the ministry and living in sin during this time, the reason he was training for the ministry was because the ministers at that time were uh, employees of the government and it was a steady job. So he's training for the ministry so he could be a government employee and have a steady job, but he's living in sin. And he goes to a small group and gets convicted and gives his life to the Lord. And so he prays and says, God, what do you want me to do? Do you still want to do ministry? What do you want me to do? And God put a nation on his heart and said, I want you to be a missionary. So uh, he went to his father, who had the means, by the way, and said, would you send me to missionary school? His father said, no, not at all. I mean, that's, you don't have any steady income like you would if you were employed by the government, you know. So, and of course, now that's not steady income either. But the point is, he said, no, I won't do that. And so what do you think he did? He prayed. And he prayed for two months. And at the end of that two months, God said to him, now go to missionary school and I'll provide. So he went and he went to register and he's standing in line to register and pay his school bill. And as he's standing in line, a guy walks up, sticks money in his pocket. He got up to register. They told him how much it was. He pulled the money out of his pocket, put it on the desk, and it was exactly the amount he had to pay. Exactly. So he then completes missionary school. And then he goes before the the board to be sent somewhere, and they declined him because he had led, now this is a, you know, Paul would have been declined too, he had led too sinful of a life in his previous years. And so he wouldn't make a good missionary because he'd been too sinful. And so they said, we're not going to send you. And so he said, what do you think he did, by the way? 
He prayed. So he prayed, and he prayed for one year. And then the Lord told him, now go. So he went to that country. He went to a city God put on his heart. He went to a church, the only church there. He went in and said, can I talk to the pastor? They said, our pastor resigned last week. He said, I just completed missionary school. They said, you're hired. (laughs) After a few months there, he found that the way the church was supported is they were renting pews to wealthy members so that the wealthy members could have the good seats. He got up and preached on tithing and not showing partiality, said, we're not going to do this anymore. We're not renting pews anymore. We will not show partiality partiality to the rich, and we will tithe the way God says to. And he said, and furthermore, we're not going to pass the plates anymore. Guess, Guess what he said? We're going to put offering boxes by the door. I thought I invented that personally. This is back in the 1800s. So they put offering boxes by the door. Their offerings went up. People began to give the way God spoke to them. And then God put it on his heart to open an orphanage. So what do you think he did? Prayed. And someone came to him and said, Pastor, I'd like to give the money to start an orphanage. Although he had never said this from the pulpit. All he did was pray. They started one. They started another one. Over a course of 60 years of being a missionary, he started more orphanages than any missionary or missions organization since. In, in the 1800s, in his missions account, which was to give over and above your tithe, free will offerings, brought in seven and a half million dollars in the 1800s. And then when he was 93 years old and eight months, he's been saved 63 years and eight months, he was just about to pass away And the friend that was taking care of him heard him praying, and he called the name of a man that had been his best friend when he was 30 years old, when he'd gotten saved. And that man had turned his back on God and said, I'm not accepting Christ, and had never accepted Christ. And George Mueller's calling his name 63 years and eight months later. And the friend said to him later, did you pray for this guy that's turned away from God all these years? And George Mueller said, I've prayed for him every day every day since I accepted Christ. And a few days later, he passed away. And at his funeral, the friend that had heard him pray was there. And he looked up and he saw the friend that he had prayed for come to the service. And at the end of the service, the man that he had prayed for walked up to his grave, got on his knees, and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Because God answers prayer. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. To pray or not to pray, many times is a subconscious decision on ours not to pray. I want it to become a conscious decision to pray. Because we are praying to the supreme ruler of the universe, the one who can never change and loves us and desires to move on this earth on our behalf. We want to pray for you. Maybe this is your uh, first time here. Maybe you've been here many times. Maybe you're a leader. But maybe you're going through something in your life and you need someone to agree with you. Maybe you need to give your life to God as George Mueller's friend did. We want to pray for you. So no matter which campus you're attending, if you want to give your life to God, Or if you just need prayer for any area, you could be a very strong believer, but we all need prayer. 
If you need prayer for any area, in just a moment, we're going to have leaders at the front. And I'm going to ask you to come to the front to one of the leaders and let us pray for you. Again, at every campus. So if you need prayer, and please hear me, you won't be the only one coming. And maybe you say, it's my first time here. I don't want to go down there in front of all these people. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to worship God. And I, I ask that during this time that no one leave because we just sing just a little bit of one worship song. And it's very important because people are making life-changing decisions during this time. So if, if you need prayer for any reason at all, you won't be the only one, I promise. You come and let someone pray for you, all right? Holy Spirit, I pray you'll draw every person at every campus that needs any prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.